Thank Him for answering prayer. Hallelujah. No matter what you prayed, if you prayed in faith, remember it's done in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. It's okay to clap. Hallelujah. It's okay. Hallelujah. We're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. It'll be on the board. Now, I want to apologize in advance because I was a madman with these scriptures and trying to get the, the uh, PowerPoint put together. Uh, so some of it's going to be up there. And if it's not up there, it's probably my fault, not theirs. Let's just say, okay, I'm just apologizing for, for, for the folks back in the booth. All right. So beginning in verse 17, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Now, brothers and sisters, most of you probably know, this is at least the third time where Jesus specifically um, predicted his death. But now, this is now, he's on his way to uh, Jerusalem. This, he said, we're, we're going to Jerusalem. This is, this is going to happen. Now, we have the benefit of looking back on it. They didn't even, you know, understand fully what he was telling them when he was telling them. But we have the benefit of looking back on, them and we, back on this, and we know that this is the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week. So now today, we know in a lot of Christian circles, it, it's... You know, this is pronounced, it's, it's ascribed at Holy Week. And so today would be the first day of Holy Week. So now we're going to pick up in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Beth, it's Fage is how it's actually pronounced, Beth Fage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent to two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, uh, with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that, we know, is the direct prophecy out of Zechariah chapter 9. So this is an absolute fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Why is this significant? Because this is what the scribes and Pharisees studied. This is what they were, this is what they were uh, adept at. This is what they were, quote-unquote, knew. But my brothers and sisters, and this, now when you read this, you say, well, some would say uh, from pessimistic or you know, maybe even a, uh, a skeptical point of view, well, Jesus just did that because he was trying to fulfill. Well, there were actually over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So if he was consciously trying to fulfill every one of them, there ain't no way. He, he had to be God. He had to be God. Because no human being would be able to consciously try to make that decision on fulfilling all of those 300 plus prophecies and be able to fulfill them all to the letter. Amen? Okay. There's no doubt. We have in our um, modern histories, we, we have people who liken themselves to be a messiah. David Koresh comes to mind, other people. You know, they try to... Now, look, if they really wanted to put that on, all they would have to do is do some of those things that Jesus did. Right? Wouldn't it stand to reason? Well, why wouldn't they? Well, it's impossible. They're not going to be able to do it. So that's why I say, it was, it, I, I quote this pretty frequently, but the odds of one human being being able to fulfill all of those prophecies like is one to the to 28th power. That's one with 28 zeros behind it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you offered me a lottery ticket and said to me, here's your odds of winning the lottery take this ticket, I think you're going to win, 
but I knew the odds were 1 to the 28th power, I'd say, nah, keep it. Or how about this? You know, you got a, a disease or something, and they, they want to try this. We don't know exactly you know, what the side effects will be, but the chances of you being cured of your disease if you take this medication are going to be 1 to the 28th power. Would you take it? No, it's almost, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the, the odds of one man, one human being, being able to fulfill all of those prophecies. So, I, you know, and I know that got a little bit sidetracked there, but my brothers and sisters, there, there should be no hesitation. There should be no doubt in anyone's mind. Jesus is God. So now, we see that uh, this is the beginning. This is Palm Sunday. Today's Palm Sunday, and that's what happened. Jesus, you know, this is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we know what they did. They laid down the palm fronds. They laid down their, their cloaks. They laid down things. They, they welcomed him as their, their, their conquering king, and they were hollering things out like, you know, Hosanna, son of David. Save us, son of David. They were saying, they were professing, this is our Messiah. This is the king. This is son of David. Son of David. This is our king. They were speaking from their scriptures. They were speaking, you know, from what they believed. They were, they were speaking from their theocracy. They were speaking from their culture. Everything that they believed, everything that they were, everything that they lived, they were speaking it out in that moment. And they were living it out by laying palm branches down, by laying clothes down. They were, they were, they, they were just absolutely positively not just confessing with their mouths. They were doing something also to show exactly what they believed. There was a passion involved. I'm glad I got somebody interested back there. Hallelujah. No, there was a passion involved. And not a phony made up passion. They were doing something. They were laying their clothes down. They were shouting. Hallelujah. Welcoming him as a king. And that's pretty much the end of day one. Now let me preface what I'm going to say here for the rest of the way. Listen. I studied this out and I tried to reconcile all of the Gospels to get these days. Now, I'm going to fully acknowledge I may not be 100% correct on what happened what exact day. Don't write me. Don't tap me on the shoulder after the service. Don't email me if you're listening to me on the internet. Don't email me. I don't care. Okay? Listen. If, because what, listen, if that's what you get out of this message, you're missing it. So don't even worry about that stuff right now. If that's what you're listening to, and if that's what you want to nitpick about, you're going to miss everything that God has for you this morning. Amen? Okay, so let's go. We all agree on that. I might have missed a little something. That's the end of day one. Palm Sunday, baby. Okay, now we go to day two. Now we're going to Monday. Matthew 21, 18 and 19 says this. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry, Jesus. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing but leaves and said to it, let no fruit ever grow on you. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Now I don't know about you. See, remember a couple weeks ago, that message that God brought to us. Which, Which Jesus do you believe in? Right? See, because a lot of people love to believe in that Jesus that's you know, all loving, all merciful, all God. But the Jesus that whips the people out of the temple, the Jesus that says, unless you do this, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. That's Jesus they got a little bit of a problem with. The Jesus that sees a, a fig tree and curses it, that Jesus, mm, maybe not, not so much. Man did that. <laughs> Jesus did that. Amen. Jesus did that. Did Jesus just have a temper tantrum? No. 
He didn't. He was teaching all of us something. He was teaching them something that was a teachable moment. And it's a teachable moment back then. It's a teachable moment right now. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Okay, well, let's find out why. If you go further down in Matthew 21.20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, and be removed and cast into the sea will be done and whatever things you ask in prayer believing you will receive hallelujah praise God and there's been a doctrine and a theology that's been built on scriptures like that taken out of context because all you have to do is say something in faith and you get whatever you ask for no that's not what this is saying we got to keep this in context What was the problem with the fig tree? It bore no fruit. It bore no fruit. Now we know because we've studied together, if you look at John chapter 14, 15, you're you're, you're talking about Jesus saying, listen, you need to bear fruit. The branches that do not bear fruit are what? Cut off, thrown into the fire. Jesus expects, our God expects there to be fruitfulness in our life. And this is what he tells us. He tells us, I, listen, I am the vine. You are the branches. You have to abide in the vine. There is nothing, you can do nothing unless you're connected to me. Amen. Isn't that right? So look at, so now here's, here's what stands to reason. If there's supposed to be fruit in my life, if I have faith and I'm abiding in the vine, I'm attached to Jesus, there's going to be fruit in my life. And because there's fruit in my life, and because I am abiding in the vine, and because I'm attached to Jesus, I'm praying, and I'm, 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 I'm having faith, I'm exercising faith, and it's showing because I'm bringing forth fruit, or actually, He is bringing forth the fruit through me. And so now, when I pray, it's effective. Hallelujah. I'm not just asking according to my own will. Why? Because I'm abiding in the vine. I'm asking according to His will. It's not about the name it and claim it stuff. That has destroyed the church in this modern era. Because so many people that, well, that don't work, and then they go look to something else or they become carnal Christians, not that they were ever anything other than carnal Christians, but then what happens is that you know, they're, they're, they're saying they're Christians, but they're walking like everybody else, so it's damaging the church. Amen. That's why we don't have revival. We need people like you all who are serious, who will come to a small church, big church, who will go ahead and it's all about Jesus. It's not about my bank account. It's not about how many cars I drive. It's not even how big my house is. It's not about the job that I have. It's about Jesus. You got all that out of that, Tony? Yep, I did. And I just shared it with you. <laughs> okay, so now, this. remember, we're in Monday. This, we're second day here. We're going to Mark, chapter 11. Verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem, then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers, the seats of those who uh, sold the doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. See, that's the, that's, that's the Jesus that people don't really want to hear about too much. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, saw it, how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. Wait a minute. 
See, it wasn't just about the signs, wonders, and miracles. Did you hear that? Come on, somebody. Did you hear that? It wasn't about all the signs, wonders, and miracles. They were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. End of day two. Again, do not write me. Do not send me. Don't tap me on the shoulder after the service. But think about that. This is that same Jesus. He cursed the fig tree on his way in. He cleans out the temple. But he's teaching. He's preaching. And people were astonished. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were astonished in a negative way. Because we come back later on, they start to question him and his authority, right? Which they always had anyway. Okay, now jump to the next day. Mark 11, beginning in verse 27. Some of this will be up there, some of it won't. So you might want to jot it down and look it up later. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him and they said to him, here you go, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? You see that? He cleaned out the temple. See, that's one of the pieces of the puzzle that I looked at is, you know, the next day when he came, immediately they questioned his authority. Why were they questioning his authority? Because he cleaned out the temple. You know, he took authority in that temple. And that's why I separated the days there. But my brothers and sisters, think about that. Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, when he first went to Jerusalem, he cleaned out the temple. Now the end of his ministry, he's cleaning out the temple. And remember, when, when, I, when we studied this together before, man... It's that passion that he had for the Father, for the things of God. He has this passion. And remember that message. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What gets your, what gets your blood churning? What gets you going? What has your attention? What has your affection? What are you passionate about? Michelle has to divide her time between me. Oh, I'm just kidding. No, it's, what, are you, what is it? What, what is it? What is it? What are you passionate about, right? And... and and is it played out? Would someone be able to tell, man, that person has a passion for this? Now, if someone said, well, that, passion has a, that person has a passion for the bucks, you're showing the wrong thing. <laughs> Number one, they're losers. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Listen, when you, when you turn on, if you, just historically, I'm not picking in on, on anybody again, so don't write me, don't send me letters, I don't care. Listen, if you see them, if, if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, I mean, and you're on a waiting list to get tickets, and, and you go to a stadium, and you wear a hunk of cheese on your head, you're pretty passionate about your football team. See, when you will sit in like that weather that is just ridiculously cold and snow, you'll go there on a Sunday, but you won't go to church, you're passionate about the wrong thing. Are, are you with me? See, Jesus has this passion for all of the things of the Father, and He demonstrated that in His life, didn't He? But see, look, and when he did that to the temple, man, it spoke to the passion that he has for me. Because in Corinthians, doesn't it tell us that we are the temple of God? Yes. Hallelujah. So look, just as he was passionate about that physical temple, he's passionate about you. And you know how else I know that? Because I'm smart. No, because he got up on the cross. He gave his life up. In this, the love of God was made known to us. Amen? Hallelujah. So what, uh, I'm not going to go back and re-preach that message, but there are different people here, so I could repeat myself. Listen. Come on, baby. No, but listen, 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 listen. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? 
Would someone be able to tell that you really love God by what you're, what, what you're showing uh, by your passion? So now let's continue in Mark 11. Well, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, you, you, this won't be up on the board, just read it later. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then did you not, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, then we feared the people because they counted John to be a prophet indeed. So they answered and said, Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love it. See, they, they always, we know that, even before Holy Week. I'm just going to use that term because every week should be holy, y'all. That's the point. Every week should be holy. But because of this special week, you know what? They always tried to challenge Jesus. We know that. They were so jealous of him. You know, they, they just, you know, they were the ones in charge. They were the ones in power. They were the ones that were giving the people what they needed, quote unquote. So, Listen. I love it when Jesus just answers the question with a question and stops everything right in its tracks. I want to tell you that he's teaching us something as well. Listen, more and more in our culture, we're being put on the defensive. I don't want you to say amen if you don't agree, but I'm going to tell you that's my belief and I think we're seeing it played out. More and more Christians are being put on the defensive. I'm not going to make any apologies. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, for the Jew first, and then us, Gentiles. My brothers and sisters, I will not apologize. Well, what about Christian apologetics? That just means you're given a reason for what you believe. That doesn't mean you're apologizing for being it. That just means you're given a reason for what you believe. My brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, I'm not worried about defending the Word of God. It's like a roaring lion, not the other one seeking who may devour. It's like a lion. That lion, you let it out of the cage, you don't have to worry about it. It's going to take care of itself. You just let the Word of God out there, it'll take care of itself. My brothers and sisters, I'm not worried. I'm not going to apologize for it. But if someone questions me, I'm going to question them right back. Well, can you prove that God created? Well, can you prove that He didn't? Can you prove that Jesus really walked the earth? Well, there is not only this Bible that proves it. There are historians that prove it. But can you prove that he didn't? Can you prove that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, there are at least 500 people saw him at one time. There's a whole group of people that were willing to give up their lives after they saw him up out of the grave when at first they were hiding out. But, you know, if that's not good enough for you, prove that he didn't. Uh, our, our Jesus, He showed us how it's done. And, and man, I'm, listen, I'm a little bit excited right now. I'm a little bit animated. I'm not saying that you had to get in somebody's face. You can say it very calmly as you put. Well, Stephen, would you please prove that He didn't? I mean, you don't have to be all. You know, you know what I'm saying. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little bit animated this morning. A little excited about what God is doing. So just, you know, chill. Take it easy. Get a little easy. Okay, so that's now many more things happen, but that's just a quick you know, summary of that day. Next day. Now, I, as near as I could tell, this is about Wednesday, as near as I could tell, Jesus didn't go into Jerusalem that day. You know, after he cleaned out the temple, after he put the Pharisees and scribes in their place, maybe he said, maybe I'll let the cool things cool off a little bit. But he stayed in Bethany. Now, he was staying in Bethany, and, and remember, in Bethany, that's where uh, Lazarus and his family, now, Lazarus had already been raised from the dead, and that's where Mary and Martha lived and all that. He probably was staying with them. Him and his closest disciples were probably staying, lodging with them. And so he was going back and forth between there and Bethany. 
until he was up at the Mount of Olives. But now it says in uh, Mark 14, beginning in verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly um, oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrance uh, wasted? For it might have sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. See, that's not a very popular statement among people. You'll have the poor with you always. He wasn't lying. And whenever you wish, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. There he is again, predicting his. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done well, and what she has done will be also told as a memorial to her. And here we are talking about it now, 2,000 plus years later. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. See, now that some people will say that he actually did that the next day, but I, I, to me, I think that that happened you know, all on the same day. Is it a huge point? No, it's not a huge point. But do you see, in this situation now, Jesus also preached and taught in that area. You know, he didn't just teach and, and preach when he was and do signs, wonders, and miracles when he was in Jerusalem, when he was in the surrounding area. He did the same thing, and that's why they followed him in. And that, his fame was spread. So that's why they, they knew this is... In fact, we'll, when we get into it later, I'll explain just a little bit more. Okay, next day. This is Thursday. Thursday. Luke 22 beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. There make ready. So Jesus now is, is given instruction because they're going to honor the Passover, obviously. And we know, because we look back, they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. We know how important this specific Passover was. And we'll continue in verse 14 out of Jesus' own mouth. When the hour had come, he sat down, he, Jesus, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus, again, he, he's, he's saying what's going to happen to him, but he's also speaking again to this passion, this desire that he has on the inside of him. To do the will of the Father but also to fulfill the will of the Father because of what it does for those who He's dying for. The passion is to do the will of the Father, but the passion is also for the people that He's about to suffer for. His passion is for you. His passion is for you. His love is for you. And I, I think, my brothers and sisters, and it's... You know, you would think, I mean, I don't know a lot of us personally, and I know a lot of us for a long time, but I want to, 
sometimes we need to really hang on to that. Especially if you're in the middle of a battle and, and it seems like, you know, man, God, if you, if you really are passionate about me, if you're really passionate for me, why is this happening? What's going on here? Right? Am I, you know, has anybody ever, ever had that kind of situation? Of course. But then I'll turn around and in the very next stanza, in the very next act of the play, he brought me through it. I look back and I say, now I know. Right in the middle of that, you were there with me. And now when I'm looking back on it, I know exactly what you were teaching me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I may not know everything right now. I may not know all the reasons right now. But here's what I know. You love me. You'll never leave me or forsake me. And this came to pass. Let it pass quick. (laughs) But this came to pass. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to go now to John 13. 13, verse 2. Supper being ended, the devil have already, has already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and at that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel which, which he had girded himself. Now, listen. We, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time because we know that there are a lot of things that happen. You know, obviously, if you just talk about what Peter did, no, no way I'm going to let you wash my feet. Let me, let me just push on that. I didn't plan on this, but Holy Spirit, thank you. Let me just push on this just a minute. Why was Peter uh, not willing that Jesus should wash his feet? That's right. You know, there's no way. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the, you're the, I've got the rhema. You're the son of the living God. I'm not letting you wash my feet. There's no, there's no way. You're the one to be honored. You're the master. You're the teacher. You're the Messiah. I'm not letting you wash my feet. And, what, and remember Jesus told him, if you don't let me do this, you'll have no part with me. Yeah, that's, that's Peter. That's, that's Peter. I've got to tell you, there's a little bit of Peter and Tony because I would say, okay, man, Calgon, take me away. This is gone. Yeah. We're going to bathe in this, baby. No, but... But, but, but seriously though, that's the thing. And, and then we know because again, we have the advantage of looking back and then Peter, after this all had happened, obviously he, na- you know, he now knew he was, when he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I mean, he became something, just something very special. Amen? So now watch. Push on that. Push on, on that. But we know. We know what it was for. It was an example it was an example because, listen, before that, they were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. Right? This, the ultimate object lesson the Master showed them. Now, in John thirteen thirty three, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Here he is again. I'll be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you, not, you cannot come. See what he's telling them. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. My brothers and sisters, this is huge. We know that you know, all of the gifts, all of the gifts, 
You've heard it from this pulpit. You've heard it from other pulpits. You've read it for yourself. God has you know, settled it in your heart. Without love, we're nothing. Without love, we're nothing. We could say we love, but if we don't love indeed, that's not love. Right? There's a lot of love with the mouth going on, but there's not a lot of love indeed going on. And I'm convinced that, that, that wholeheartedly, that, that's why the Holy Spirit is not moving like He did in the first church. How many of us would be willing to sell everything that we had and then share it among the people in our congregation? Now, I will say that I'm blessed because many of you do share um, of your finances and such, and that's why this little church gets to do a lot of big things, in my mind, big things. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But my brothers and sisters, do we see that widespread among the true, the body of Christ? Are we willing, and then in some cases, is it we're willing to give the money so that we won't have to give the time? Right? Because, listen, our time to us sometimes may be more valuable. That doesn't make sense. It makes total sense. Sometimes it's easier to stroke a check than it is to go ahead and stop what you're doing, get away from the TV, get away from fake book, Get away from Snaptrap. Get away from Twiddly D and Twiddly Dumber. Get away from all of that stuff and actually spend some time loving on somebody. Come on now. Come on. Or actually getting away from that stuff and just spending time with God. Right? All right. All right. All right. My brothers and sisters, we know then, you know, when they went out, that's what he was saying to them. That was as they were going out. And we know he goes, him and a couple of his closest disciples, they go, he goes and prays in the garden. And, you know, if you, if you read um, John, you know, chapter you know, 13 through 17 and, and so on, you know, that's Jesus. That was part of Jesus' prayer in the garden is John chapter 17, a great prayer. But, you know, we know that, you know, he's going in the garden, he's, he's agonizing. You know, it's interesting, um, our, our brother... Adam, you know, he lost something for us in the garden. Our older brother Jesus and our God Jesus, he fought a battle in the garden and he won it. He completed it at the cross. But remember in that garden, in that garden, he had to make that statement. I'm, uh, this might be next week's message, so I'm not going to give it away. No, but, but, but think about that. That's a pretty awesome thing. So we know that Jesus is sweating drops of blood. Jesus is, is doing spiritual battle in the garden. And we know that his uh, apostles let him down a little bit. They couldn't stand it, stay awake for just a little while. And so we know that you know, he's arrested in the garden. Judas betrays him with a kiss. Now let me just stop or pause here so far and push on something. This has been quite a week for Jesus so far. Remember, he's fully God, but he's fully man. You know, he's, he's, they don't have, they can't get in the darn, uh, you know, they, they, there's no Uber. They're not calling an Uber driver and going from uh, where they started, you know, Galilee and all, and, and, you know, go through uh, Jericho and all the places that they've been, Samaria. They, they can't do all that. You know, they're walking. Then the last little bit, little bitty leg of the trip, he rode in on a donkey, but then he was right, he was walking back and forth. He was, so physically it's taxing emotionally it's taxing. Listen, he can't... Think about this. He can't get away from people. I mean, he has to purpose to get away from people because everybody and anybody wants something. Did you ever get that umpteenth call on your cell phone? You want to smash the thing? Right? 
Did you ever get that umpteenth message and say, oh, not again. Come on. Could you imagine being Jesus and everybody's tugging at you, everybody's pulling at you, everybody wants a piece, everybody wants something, right? Yeah. Then, to, 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 he's dealing with disciples and his closest disciples who don't understand fully what he's trying to teach them. So he's always having to, to try to, to, to repeat and to say things and, and so on and so forth. And then he has, uh, describes the Pharisees, the leaders, always challenging everything that he says, everything that he does, always up in his face, all the time. All the time. And now, he know, and this whole time he's carrying this inside of him, he knows where he's going. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And now he finds himself in the garden. Now he finds himself in the garden. And he's doing spiritual battles, sweating drops of blood. And he says, if it's possible, nevertheless, your will be done. I'm, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'm going to do what you say. Even in the midst of all of that. Man, my brothers and sisters, Holy Week. He kept it holy. He kept it holy. He kept it holy. So he's arrested. He has to stand immediately before the high priest and the council and so on and so forth. We know the drill. You don't have, you know, he's beaten up and then he has to stand the next day. He stands before Pilate. He stands before the Gentiles, which was said. He was going to have to do it and he did it. It was prophesied and he did it. He stood before Herod. He was mocked. He was tortured. You know, Isaiah tells us he was so brutally beaten you couldn't recognize him. This is the one part that I think, and I'm, I, I know some, several of you already know this and probably have studied it. Being fully God and fully man, that fully man part, when he was up on the cross, and when all of the sin, and, and, and don't, I can't explain this, and anybody that can tell you they can, they, all of the sin that had ever been committed and all of the sin that would be committed hung on that cross with him. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that's, that happens. But it happened. It happened. And when that weight of sin was on him, when all of that sin was attached to him, it said, He who, know, who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteous of God in him. Amen? When, he was, when that weight of sin was all over him, that's when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So as much of the physical stuff that he had endured in that moment, that was the first time ever where the back was turned. He experienced that. That hurt him more than anything. And he experienced it for us. That Passover that he was looking so forward to, you know, how many, how many Passovers had Jesus endured up to that point? How many do you think? How old was he? All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. From the first one that he and the Father ordained till that one. Hallelujah. And he says, this one is the one. 
Why? Because then he became the Passover. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he died on that cross. Storm, man, lightning, thunders. I can imagine the, the veil was ripped in two and all kind of stuff. If you, man, even somebody looking at him, a Roman, had to say, that's him. So now evening has come, Mark 15, verse 42. Now evening had come because it was preparation day, that is, the day before Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea. Now I want you to take notice of this. What does it say about Joseph? He was a prominent council member. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was very impotent. Who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. Coming and taking courage went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. I'm going to go right into John 19 and we'll couple this together. 1938. After this, Joseph of Arathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate for that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus and... Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night in secret, in quiet. He's not so quiet anymore, y'all. Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. He spent a lot of money. Then he took the body of Jesus and bound it with strips of linen, with spices, in the custom, as was the custom of the Jews, to bury now, in the, pl- in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid yet. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' uh, preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. They did that because they had to hurry up. It was preparation day. They had to be home at a certain time because of their law. Why am I bringing these guys up? Look what it says about them. We know Nicodemus' past. We know he came to Jesus by night. We know he obviously looked at Jesus. He knew there was something about him. He was hearing the teachings. He was seeing the signs and wonders. And there was something about him. He had a heart. He truly was seeking God. He truly was seeking God. And, and looking at Jesus, there's something different about this man. There's something about this man. If you're looking for the truth, my brothers and sisters, you're going to find it. If you're truly seeking God, He'll make sure that you find Him. Because he's not hard to find. He's chasing you down. My brothers and sisters, this man was truly looking for God. And Jesus gave him the straight answer. He didn't say, well, Nicodemus, try a little bit harder. Well, you know, the grace and mercy of God is thus and such. No, he said, you must be born again. You won't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. There's the, well, he didn't even understand that. We know the, the, what the discourse, we know what took place between them. But now, what happened? Joseph of Arimathea, these guys are both prominent men in that religion, in that, and they're, they're now they're coming to him. Joseph of Arimathea went right to Pilate. Now you know that there was somebody saying back at the council, yeah, he, he went in and saw the darn uh, Gentile. He went in there to the unclean guy and asked permission for the Messiah body. You know there had to be somebody spying. You know he's not worried about it anymore. And evidently Nicodemus isn't worried about it anymore. 
Well, wait a minute. This is the failed Messiah because after all, he just, if he was really the Messiah, wouldn't he come down off that cross and take those thieves with him? If he was, if he was really the Messiah, wouldn't he have let them crucify him in the first place? If he was really the Messiah, wouldn't he have called a host of angels come down there and defeat the Romans? Run everybody out of the promised land and just occupy? No. God never said it that way. God never said it that way. God said it exactly how it happened. And now all of a sudden, these men have a hold of the truth, you see. And instead of going ahead and being wishy-washy about it, what they did was they made a stand. What they did was they, they, they forgot the fear. And they looked forward to the Messiah. I'm receiving Him. I'm following Him. Hallelujah. Now look, you can say, well, you know, they had nothing to lose. They had everything to lose according to that culture. According to that society, they had everything to lose. Look at some of the things that we allow to to bog us down. Well, I don't want the family members to think bad of me. They're going to think I'm a fanatic. They're not going to want to be around me. Later for them! Are you going to go ahead and give up Jesus because some family member don't like the fact that you go to church when the church doors are open or that you don't curse anymore? Are you going to let them keep you from Jesus? Well, you know, if, if, if I do that to people at work and, you know, maybe I'm up for a promotion, you see, and if they think I'm a fanatic, you know, really? 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 See, because I, I, you're, you're probably right. What am I thinking? Should have had a V8. What am I thinking? Because when you stand before God, He's wanting to go, hey, were you the CEO of your company or were you just the president? Really? Is, is that what Jesus, is that what God, when you stand before God, is He going to care what you did for a living? Is He going to care how He's going to care about what you did for Him. Hallelujah. And sometimes when you go ahead and you say, look, if that promotion depends on me doing this, then guess what? I'm sorry. Respectfully, I can't do this. And someone in that company is going to see you do that and you are going to meet them in heaven. They're going to say, because you took that stand, I investigated that Jesus. And I became born again because you took that stand. And, I, and you just got the best promotion you could ever get. Hallelujah. Woo! God is good. Same head. You get from that beginning of that journey. You get the beginning of that journey. And now you're seeing the end of this journey. Those guys were there. Those guys being Nicodemus and Joseph. They were there at the beginning of the journey. And here they are at the end of the journey. But guess what? It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. We know what happens. We read the whole gospel. We know what happens. Well, hallelujah. But I want to go back now to the beginning of the journey because there was one other thing that I want to talk to you about. If, if you just give me, I know I'm running just a little long. Just hang with me a little bit, okay? Hang with me. Mark 10, beginning in verse 46. Some will be on the board, some won't. In verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. This was at the beginning of this journey as they're going toward uh, Jerusalem. As they went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat at the road beginning, or I'm sorry, please forgive me, the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, I'm recognizing you, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. And commanded him to be called. Jesus stood still. Commanded him to be called. Listen, when you're crying out, 
I'm not, listen, I'm not going sideways on this. What I'm about to say to you, I really believe in my heart. When you cry out to the Son of David, when you cry out to Jesus the Lord, He stands still. I'm not, I believe that with everything I am. Everything that I am. He commanded that he be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment. Did did I give you that one? No? Hallelujah, thank you. Throwing aside his garment. You see that? Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Did Jesus know? You got a blind man coming up to you. Chances are you know exactly what he wants, even if you weren't God. But no, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, teacher, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. Amen. And follow Jesus on the road. See, look at, he didn't just believe with his mouth. He didn't just have a mental disposition. How do I know that? Because I'm smart. No, he followed him. He followed him. Mike, don't ridicule for that. He followed him. But look what he's, look on the front end of that. The profession that he's making. This is what he said. What did he say? Son of David. He, who is, what's going on? What's going on? That's Jesus. That's Jesus coming down the road. It's Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. Who, what's he saying? King. My king. My king. Have mercy on me. My king. You have the power. My king. You could do this. My king. My king. See, he was speaking in faith. He was talking. He knew who Jesus was. He's making a confession. And he believed it in his heart. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, your faith, your faith. He believed it in his heart and then he backed it up. The first thing that he did when he backed it up, know what he did first? Hey, hey, be of good cheer. He's calling you to himself. He threw down his stuff and he went. He threw down his stuff and he went. See, we're wanting to take our stuff and go with Jesus. No, you got to throw away your stuff. See, we're trying to take all our stuff to Jesus. You know, Jesus, no, actually, I'm going to tell you, the picture is probably more like this. We're inviting Jesus to come and join our stuff. And then we wonder why it ain't working. Well, because you're inviting Jesus to, to join your stuff. Jesus don't want no part of your stuff. Jesus has called you out of that stuff so you can have his stuff. Man, the stuff is what's killing us. The stuff is crippling us. Leave the stuff behind you, man. Jesus got a lot of better stuff. I'm telling you something. But see, the problem is you got to see it in faith. You've got to understand that his stuff is eternal stuff. It's not temporal stuff. It's eternal stuff. And sometimes he'll bless you with the temporal stuff. But I'm telling you, he's got eternity for you on his mind and in his heart. So he's not going to bless you with the, ter- the temporary stuff that's going to hinder you from receiving the eternal stuff. Did I say that all right? 
Hallelujah. Are you with me? I had more scripture, but we're going to end it there. That's a good place to end it. Isn't it? Hallelujah. Hey, could the praise team come back? I don't, I don't know if you even know the, song, the words to this song. That, we're, here's my, I hope the praise team knows the words to this song. 